Uh, many thanks to the Redeem Life Church and Pastor Boaz for inviting me to preach here this Sunday at the start of the year. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. I hope everyone gets a good 2020 vision from God on, on how we might serve Him faithfully in this, in this coming year. Um, I'll explain... Uh, oh, okay, they have a screen of me up here. All right, okay, so I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, uh, there's a screen of Michael Jordan uh, in the 1997... NBA game, Finals game, where even though he was dead sick, um, he couldn't eat any food, and even the Gatorade wouldn't sit still with him. Um, it, was, it was an amazing game where one person's endurance helped them win that, that championship game. Eventually, they, they won that year. Uh, but I'll talk about that later. Uh, instead, the next slide, that's all right. I wanted to give uh, uh, greetings from my family to the, the family of God here at uh, Redeemer Life. Uh, so my wife, Sue, is uh, currently worshiping at Park Community Church, where our family has been since the inaugural service uh, about five years ago. Uh, we live in the north part of Chicago. I do teach at North Park Theological Seminary, the seminary part of the university. Um, I've been there for um, 14 years now. So this is my 14 years teaching, so it's been quite a while. Before uh, our family arrived in Chicago uh, proper, the north side, uh, the, we lived in the Wheaton area where I taught at Wheaton College as a visiting professor for three years. Before that, we're, we were in California. We're, we're California transplants. So both my sons were born in Los Angeles. Uh, they were three and five when they moved to the Midwest. So I think they are properly Chicago-raised kids. And they went to the Chicago public school system. Both my sons are now uh, in college right now. Uh, there. So the younger one's already back starting his, his quarter. My older one happens to be here. Back. Um, I'm not sure why. Usually children don't want to hear their dad preach, but he wanted to actually be here and hear me preach, so I really appreciate the support uh, in him coming here with me to, to the service. Sue sends her greetings, and she's actively praying for us right now. She's praying that the Lord might speak to us in a powerful way. Um, I wanted to talk about New Year's. Uh, I know that Pastor Boaz talked about the mind of Christ. Uh, so this message is, in one sense, a follow-up. Having the mind of Christ, what steps do we need to take to experience God powerfully this 2020? And the, the title of the message is Run Like Your Life Depends On It, with the subtitle, uh, uh, Train and Run Like a Spiritual Athlete. But it is Run like, uh, like, like Your Life Depends On It, because it does. Your spiritual life does. Oh, thank you. There is a, I keep looking back, but I didn't realize there was a screen up front, so that helps. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, New Year's and, and a time of resolution. Can I, not that screen, but can I get to the next one? Great. All right. So can everyone see that? Um, we, at the church that I serve at, Mark Zanders is a church member, and he actually, as a profession, helps people get back in shape. He's a personal trainer. He has his own business, but he also loves the church, so he often posts free advice about how to get in shape. And it was kind of funny that before, this is the first time I've experienced this, that actually before the New Year's, he had to start early in December. So talk about starting your New Year's resolution early. Uh, he challenged our church to get physically in shape by doing what he called burpees. And he asked us to do, I think, a thousand of them uh, during the month of December. Uh, I tried it. They're not that easy, but you have to go, jump down on the floor. You do a push-up. You stand back up. And you do, you do a high jump in the air with your arms extended. And uh, my wife did it. Many church members did it. I attempted to do it to the best of my ability. Didn't quite make it. 
Um, but he had the whole church doing it. Even our 70-year-olds were doing a modified version of burpees. And, and so, and we, they Instagrammed the photos. Everyone had a good time. Uh, but New Year's is a time of resolutions. And oftentimes, when people, uh, after the New Year's Day, uh, kind of consume a lot of holiday feasting, they, January 2nd is officially the largest populated time for the gym, where many people after New Year's Day come into the gymnasium, uh, all with the hope of maintaining healthy habits, eating and exercise. We all want a fresh start. Um, can I see the next slide? Um, and and, uh, and on top of 1,000 burpees, now apparently the new resolution is 750 squats, 750 push-ups, 750 crunches for this month alone, I think. It's a 30-day challenge. So, woo, everyone's really getting challenged. But I wanted to remind ourselves that while we, we restructure and reorder our life in order to physically get in shape, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4.8 reminds us that while... There, uh, for while bodily training or physical training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it, is, uh, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Um, I wanted to ask a really good question for us to start off our new year. How have we restructured our life so that we train God in godliness? If we're willing to take the time to reorder our life so that uh, we physically get fit, how about spiritually? Uh, what kind of godly habits? What kind of training are we really, willing to go through? We admire athletes, for example, like Michael Jordan. Uh, we, love, uh, we, we, we not only admire his talents and his gifting, but we especially admire that he didn't waste those talents and gifts. Uh, that he's the kind of person that in 1997, when he was so ill the day before, he could hold down no food, and yet he insisted on playing for the team the next day, and he couldn't even hold down water. There's, there, there, so many, I remember that. I was, I'm not even a big basketball fan. Back when I was in Los Angeles watching the game, um, I'm, I was a fan of the L.A. Lakers. I know everyone's going to go, boo, okay, but, but, and so, but I, I remember watching this game because I just couldn't believe the stamina of this person, and here he was. You know, every five minutes having to, uh, to kind of spit up all the water that he'd try to drink down. And he was dead sick with the flu, and yet he played the entire game. They went overtime, and he won. And he, won. he helped win that game. And we, we admire athletes that endure so much uh, uh, and, and show that there are certain things worth fighting for. But how much more says Paul about the spiritual life? How much are we willing to discipline our bodies? Uh, keep it under control. Literally, uh, the text actually says in 1 Corinthians 9, the text that we'll preach, I'll preach from today, uh, Paul wanted to make his body his slave. Now, he didn't want to be ruled over by his body. He wanted, to rule, he wanted his spirit to rule over his body instead. He did what it took in order that he might live the kind of life that pleased God, that brought him closer to God, and serve the brothers and sisters of his congregation, and served his neighbor. Um, so I have a question that I want everyone to think about while we enter into 2020 and we think about um, uh, how we might really experience God powerfully uh, in this next year. Uh, we, some of us might have more gap time than others, but this is often a really good spiritual litmus test. What do we do in our gap time? That shows where our joy, our pleasure, and delight is. 
if we spend our gap time catching up on the latest, latest net, Netflix uh, uh, TV series and binge watch you know, for hours on Netflix, that's where our heart is. That's where our delight is. So our gap time, whether you're a student, a parent, you're juggling three or four uh, toddlers and babies at the same time, whether you're an empty nester like me, having seen both sons go to co college, and some of the evenings are, are longer than they were before as an empty nester. Whatever stage in life you are, gap time shows where our heart is. What do we spend our gap time on? And, and so do we spend it with the Lord? Do we spend it reading his word? Do we spend it fasting and praying? Do we spend it sharing our faith with our neighbor, investing? There's only two things in life that are eternal. The word of God. Uh, all flesh is like grass, but the word of God lives forever. And people's souls. Those are the only two things. Are we willing to invest in people, brothers and sisters in the church, so that we grow in the Lord, our neighbors, so that they might hear the gospel for this time and, know, and come to know the Lord? Uh, uh, where we spend our gap time shows where our love and delight is. And so with, with that in mind, let's turn to our text. Um, sorry, I keep looking back. Okay, there it is. Uh, and I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And, 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 we'll, and we'll have two points to, to reflect on uh, as we think about what Paul says about the spiritual athlete. Uh, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for the new year with new beginnings. Uh, but Lord, more than anything, this 2020, we want our year to start with you. We want to say that you are daily bread, that we need you every waking moment of our life, that as the world sometimes is structured in a way because it is broken and fallen, to take, us, take and, and make our heart drift away from the Lord. Father, this 2020, we want to start off this first Sunday. We want to start off this first week of the year really pursuing God with every cell in our body, with all our might and strength, knowing that we are weak, but Lord, when we are weak, you make us strong. We ask, O oh Father, that you might speak to us this hour and set the trajectory for how we might live out 2020 this year. Let us do so faithfully. This we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, ancient athleticism, uh, simply because uh, modern athleticism and ancient athleticism are actually not quite the same. I think what they share is a commitment to endurance and discipline and training. And yes, I kind of put the PG-13 version of the, of the mosaic up there, not knowing who would be in my audience. So, but uh, athletes in the ancient world, uh, all the way through the time of Paul, when they trained and when they competed, they were naked. Uh, so, uh, and so we have a mosaic from uh, one of the, the Roman villas in Pompeii that feature box, bo uh, two boxers. And if you notice that, they are bare-fisted. Uh, uh, one is bleeding from the forehead. A, a poor bull is bleeding from the for 
forehead because apparently one boxer hit the bull and knocked it unconscious. That's how, how strong they were. Uh, apparently, the ancient athletic training routine of uh, the Roman world made MMA fighters look like slackers. Uh, they, uh, so if you're into mixed martial arts, uh, it was tougher to be an ancient athlete than a, a modern mixed martial artist in that time. I wanted to read to you a, a short epigram that kind of showed graphically. Um, uh, it's a previous slide. Uh, oh, that, that's it. That's good. Thank you. Uh, a, a, an epigram uh, on boxing. Um, it's a poem. Um, uh, the, the translator did a fairly good job to try to translate into English the poetics of uh, the Greek. And so I'm going to read this uh, as best and poetically as I can. Forgive the, the lack of flair if, um, if, if, if I don't do it well. Um, but at all the contests where Greeks appear, I fought Androlius at every one. My prize at Pisa was to save one ear. At Palatia, one eyelid is what I've won. At Delphi, I was carried out as dead. My father with citizens were proclaimed and told to lift me up so I'd be led out of the stadium, a corpse or maimed. Uh, you could get killed in an athletic contest. Um, if you boxed, you could come away maimed. You might walk away with one ear, one eye. You might be, have to be carried off by the citizens you were presented. Uh, what's interesting about ancient athleticism is that uh, every city-state had an ancient athlete that represented the city. The city was behind them. And sometimes the citizens didn't, uh, they carried you on your, on your shoulders in a victory march. And sometimes they picked you up because you're knocked out conscious and they had to lead you out of the stadium. Um, can I, if I can see the next slide. Uh, what was the ancient training routine like? Um, wake up early in the morning. Before the sun rises, you're already at the gymnasium. Exercise with weights, sandbags, grappling, hold practice, sparring, shadow boxing, throwing practice with javelins, discus, and balls, sprinting, and endurance running. At the end of the day, after training all day long, you get to wind down to the public baths. You can think spa. Um, there is abstinence, the practice of abstinence, from certain foods, from certain forms of intimacy, uh, from anything that would distract you from your training. Sometimes you could have wine, but not often. Strict dieting. Um, I think the modern nutritional expert would frown upon ancient practices of dieting. Uh, but apparently in the ancient world, uh, no desserts, uh, no carbs, all protein, which would make for an energy-less uh, athlete. Because usually you build up the protein in, for modern athletes at the early part of your training. And right before the meat, you load up on spaghetti and carbs so you have energy for the meat. But they, apparently, it's just protein all the way. So you, so, so, um, you get a trainer uh, who will push you beyond your limits. Uh, and you are told to actually obey him or her and what they did. So being an ancient athlete was tough. required you to restructure your life. Um, required you to do what it takes in order to win. It literally, you, you train because your life depended on it. If you went into an Olympic uh, uh, contest untrained, not ready, Literally, you could be maimed or you could die. Uh, spiritual life is like that. Now, my younger son played chess for a long time, and one of his favorite mottos is, chess is not a game, it's war. Chess is not a game, it's war. And it is. I mean, I think if you see those who start off young in chess, when they go to these uh, chess competitions in Indianapolis or up north, I, I, I remember driving my son to these things, and 
it was, it was heartbreaking as a parent to see children literally just completely cry during a loss because they were so devastated. Um, but it toughened them up. They learned to grow, mature, and handle loss well uh, and, and with character and integrity. So that was one of the parts of chess that I like. But that's a digression. Chess is not a game, it's war. Christian life is not a game. It is spiritual warfare. Everything in this world tries to drag you away from the Christian faith. What you watch on TV, uh, the movies you see, your conversations in the office, maybe it's not anything specific. Maybe it's just the mundane aspects of everything we normally do in life, from going to the grocery store, to changing diapers, to taking care of our kids, or if you're a student studying you know, and you're on overload and there's way too many classes, you don't know why you signed up for it, you had overconfidence or moment of, of, uh, a short moment of insanity where you thought you can take all those units, whatever it might be, uh, you know, we, 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 we know it might be the, just the mundane aspects of life that drag us down. But life is spiritual warfare. Um, and at stake is our hearts. Who will we give our heart to? How will we be formed? Um, and like the ancient athlete, uh, I think the ch biggest challenge of 2020 for many Christians is how will we restructure our life so that we, uh, and this is my first point, you see the next slide, so that we run to Jesus. We run hard. Uh, the most important thing we can experience in 2020 is to stand in the presence of God and meet Christ face to face each and every day and let his counsel tell us, teach us how to live what we value, who we are. And, and that means that as much as we restructure our lives to meet people, we restructure our lives to have date night, we restructure our lives to, to have a study group and study, we structure our lives to have family time, uh, whatever it might be, we restructure our lives to meet Christ. And up here is a, a slide of Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, that's where I did my uh, seminary studies. And I remember specifically one instant where I was writing my thesis. It was my last year, and I was almost done. But I needed to do something drastic in order to get the dissertation done. And so uh, for one year, I, went, I drove home from weekends. Uh, my, my wife and I were part of a church plant in Irvine, which is fairly far away. And I, drove, I would spend Monday through Friday in Pasadena. Uh, Sue would watch. Uh, at that time, we only had one son, Zachary. Uh, and, and he back in Irvine, I would drive home the weekends and do do uh, ministry with our church, and then I drive back to the Florida campus. And normally, I was always commuting, but for this one year to finish a doctoral dissertation, I needed to make, take these drastic steps. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is that while I had a small studio uh, where I rented, where I was there Monday through Friday to work in the library every day and to do my and and, and to to write. Um, but the only thing in my refrigerator that I call was several pitchers of iced coffee. There's like no food, but just iced coffee. I used the, the seminary door, uh, cafeteria. Uh, I had a particular, there was a brother in the Lord that had a tougher job than, than my being a doctoral student. He worked for Enterprise Rental Car. And nowadays, when I rent a car, I'm really nice to the service people. Because, because of this brother, I know how hard that job is. So I, so I know that their job is non-glamorous, it's tough, they're filled with cranky customers all the time. But this brother had two weeks of vacation only, just two weeks. And he's, he was just so busy all the time uh, managing 
a particular enterprise office that he just felt and felt so spiritually dry. He, he did something drastic with the permission and the blessing of his wife, who was also an incredible woman of God. He decided to spend his only two weeks of vacation with me at Fuller Seminary so that while I was in the library writing, he would read through the entire Bible in two weeks. That, he wanted a spiritual retreat. And so he started from Genesis. And hours upon hours, intermittent times of prayer, he, he spent two weeks with me uh, where we, we ate in the cafeteria and we drank iced coffee uh, at night. Uh, and then when he got... And, and when he got to the Gospels, I remember where he was just breaking out in tears because he was just so overwhelmed about how, uh, you know, having read through the entire history of Israel and how God constantly refused to give up on a stiff-necked people that rejected his love over and over and over again. When he got to the Gospels, he just started crying. And every, he couldn't read a page of the four Gospels without weeping. It was just so overwhelming. And I just remember those two weeks. You know, here's a brother who, he did what it took to meet Jesus. He did what it took to meet God. He, you know, vacation time is precious. Anyone who's working knows that. Enterprise is legalistic about their, 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 their vacation time. You get two weeks. Not a day more or less, that's it. He spent it reading through the entire Bible because he felt spiritually dry and he wanted to meet God. And it revived him. Um, this brother eventually uh, became ordained and is currently a pastor in California. And I, and I remember that this, I think, was his turning point. I mean, God felt so much alive. And then it kind of spread like a revival. As soon as other members of the congregation heard what he did, other people, they might not have been able to invest two weeks of the vacation, but they did what it took to pursue God. Because spiritual life is that much more important. While physical training is of some value, says Paul, spiritual life is of value, not just in this present age, but in the life to come. What we do when we meet with God lasts for all eternity. We cannot do God's business without knowing who we're working for. And so what I wanted to ask, as we start off 2020, are we running to Jesus, really? Think about the, the metaphor that Paul's using. He knows how hard it is to be an ancient athlete. He knows that training for an ancient athlete is literally a matter of life or death. If they don't train, they could get killed. They die. Spiritual life is like that. Unless we meet God, there, it doesn't take much to drift. You drift too long, then reading the Bible even becomes stale. Our prayers fall flat. We, sometimes uh, we, we just don't seem to hear or see God anywhere in our life. And when that happens, before it gets too late, let's get back into spiritual training. Let's reorganize and restructure our life. Let's do something drastic. If people are willing to do this on January 2nd for a fresh start, how much more the church of God to pursue Christ, to meet him on a daily basis? Uh, I have been in theological education for 17 years now. 
And I, I, I learned very early on as a doctoral student that, that academic work is not the same as my personal devotion. I never replace academic work, preparing for class, as good as it can get sometimes, it doesn't replace stopping my day in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening. I do like practicing the offices, the daily offices. That means morning, afternoon, evening, where I take time throughout the day to say that, God, you run my calendar. You run my, my appointment book, not my schedule. It's not the other way around. And I make those moments a time of worship. It's important because if I'm running on empty, how could I possibly teach others or help others or serve others? Uh, our strength comes from the Lord. And so we, we, our first step is to admit how weak we are and to do what it takes to meet with Jesus. So my first challenge this morning for 2020 is, will we run to meet Jesus? What will it take? Um, the second challenge is, can we run together? Next slide. Uh, oh, uh, the one before. Thank you. The context of 1 Corinthians 9, I'm, we often read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, and, and I don't think it's a bad way to read the text. I do think it, at a very personal level, when God speaks to us through his word, it's me before the throne of grace, and God addresses me directly. But 1 Corinthians 9 also has a communal context. Now, it's led in by the fact that why does Paul train? He doesn't just do it for himself. He says that though I'm free from all, I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became the Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under law I became one as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, uh, that I might win the weak. To I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And then he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may be able to attain it. Paul's very aware that he is not a man on an island. His life influences others. Now, his life can point others toward God, or can discourage others from receiving God. He disciplines himself not just so that he can run to Jesus, but he can actually encourage and challenge and exhort blamelessly others to run just as hard or even harder than him toward Jesus. How I live matters. And I think as Redeemer Life Church thinks about calling a new pastor, as it thinks about its mission for 2020, what kind of community do you want to be? Do you want to be a kind of community where our lives are so separate and apart from one another? Actually, it doesn't matter how I live because uh, our relationships is at the shallow end of the pool, so my life actually doesn't affect how other people live. Or do we want to take a, a step of faith and say that I want to invite the community of faith to meddle in my life. I want the community of faith to get involved. There's no part of my life where I say, you know, church, stay out. Because I need the church. I need God's people to help me to keep running strong with God. So we open up our lives. We develop relationships in our life groups. We do what it, 
Uh, we spend time with one another. We, uh, we, we serve, we, we share, we pray, we cry, we lament, we encourage, we exhort. We do all this. And, and what effect does it have? It, keeps, it, it pushes us forward. Um, I'll share a bad example and a good example of what the church can look like. Here's the bad example. Here's a confession. Um, I, I, when I was in high school many millennia ago, <laughs> I, I, um, I, 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 uh, we had a great coach, but we had a rebellious team. Great coach, rebellious team. Because he made us run over 10 miles a day so that when we did a three-mile race, we just zipped through it. And it worked. But then I was, I was losing so much weight that my mom was pinching me. Literally, it hurt because all she could get was flesh and not fat. And so she kept overfeeding me. But I told her, oh, I don't need to be overfed. I need to, be, I need to rest. I'm, I'm, I'm running over 10 miles a day. And I remember one time in this huge workout, our, 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 our coach dro- drove us up to the top of a mountain. And, and we had to run down because he wanted to do some conditioning on, on, on some hills. And it was oh, like 15 miles. And then we were all running down, trying to train. And he was supposed to meet us at the bottom. And what, what happened was, it, all it took was one person. One person just stopped. He just got so fed up. And he started walking. Started walking. All right? And then another person stopped. All right? and, and, and he started walking. And I want to say that, not me, I just kept running. But I saw them stop and I go, oh, man, you know, why not? And so I stopped. And so we all started walking down the mountain. The only person that didn't walk was the captain of the team. He just zipped by. And then, and, and boy, we were all afraid to see, go, be at the end of the mountain because we knew our coach would be so mad at us. And he was. And he kind of yelled at us in the most loving but coarse way possible. All right? Um, but, that, but, you know, sometimes the church can be that way. You know, all it takes is one brother or one sister and... Um, you know, they don't want to do their daily devotional. They don't want to come to prayer meeting. They don't want to come to church. They're, they're hardening their heart. They, whatever they want to do. They, whatever way they're hardening their heart, we see them harden their heart toward God. And instead of kind of trying to pick them up and really encourage and challenge them, hey, don't do that. Live this way. So, you know, you know, if, if you're struggling, you know, give me an arm. I'll, I'll, I'll run with you. Uh, rap, we just stop. We said, well, if he's going to compromise, she's going to compromise, I'm going to compromise too. If she's going to stop loving God and he's going to stop loving God, you know, maybe I don't have to love God so much. We, we, we look at one another and we have this negative uh, tidal wave effect where all it takes is one person to not really run and we want to stop as well. Now, what kind of church do you want to be in 2020? Now, every person matters. My life matters. I cannot live my life in a vacuum. I can try, but I can't. So it's not just myself, me, myself, and I in my walk with God. Oh, that's foundational. That's first and foremost. But my life affects others. And so when I compromise, boy, does that have a deadly spiral effect on the whole church. Instead, uh, let's let Redeemer Life Church be the kind of church where rather than lowering the bar, of endurance, lowering the bar of godliness, lowering the bar of, 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 of meeting God and loving God and, and reordering our life and let God come in like a, like a spiritual typhoon and just kind of sweep us away and take full control. 
You know, when, you know, instead of lowering the bar, why don't we raise the bar? If this person's going to be holy, then I want to be just as holy and maybe push it a little bit more. If this person's going to be loving and sacrificial, I want to be loving and sacrificial and just push it a little bit more. How about sharing testimonies where when we hear brothers and sisters really run hard for the Lord, that inspires us also to run just as hard or even harder. What would the church look like if the, if the, the bar for godliness, holiness, sacrificial love, a service, prayer, reading God's word, sharing God's word, reaching out to others was not lower and lower each day with each member of the church, but each church member is pushing the bar higher and higher and higher. Let me end with this, this short word. Uh, one, next slide. So let's run together. And there's a picture of um, the UC, University of California Berkeley campus. Berkeley is a dear place for me. For me, it's sacred ground because that's where I became a Christian, my sophomore year in college. There was a group called Asian Baptist Student Koinia. They had daily Bible studies. They reached out to me. Uh, I gave my life to the Lord my sophomore year in college. And when I graduated from college, I joined the staff of ABSK and participated in their ministry. I had a roommate that was also from ABSK. And while I was going to seminary, doing like three part-time jobs and trying to work my way through it, uh, and we were both single, uh, working professionals, young 20s, you know, uh, feel, feel like we do anything. He was working as an uh, economic consultant for, uh, for a new startup for his professor. Uh, he was making big money, but he was working really hard, long hours. A retreat was coming up, and he asked his boss, listen, you can overwork me on any other day, but on this weekend, one month from now, I need this re weekend free in order to, to, uh, to go to retreat. I serve at a church. I'm one of the leaders. I need to be there. So long story short, the day of the weekend comes, and his boss wants to work, work, wants him to work the same weekend where we're having the retreat. He had been praying for months for a couple of people to make a decision for Christ at this retreat. By God's grace and miracle, they're actually willing to come to a Christian treat, treat even though they're non-believers. He had to be there. And he told his boss, knowing how he respond, that he would not work that weekend. He was going to retreat. And I, I won't use the exact language that he used, but he cussed them out, a lot of four-letter words. It was, it was verbally a very violent uh, uh, um, uh, reprimand. And when he left the office to go to the retreat that day, he thought for sure he lost his job. It was over. He goes to the retreat. The people here praying for, praise God, actually accepted Christ that week. Will, my roommate, was right. He knew that week was born. He was there. He was present. But, but and, when we came, and then, uh, for some of you who have been on an Asian-American retreat, uh, this might be sh kind of shocking for those who are outside that world, but Asian-American retreats are, are like military boot camps. It's really intense. So you, you have like, you start, you wake up at 7 for a DT sharing, you, you know, you eat breakfast, message starts early morning. When the message ends at midnight, you usually have prayer meeting from 12 to 2 in the morning, and you wake up the next day, and that's just normal. Everyone just lives that way. We just, we just accept it as, that's the way, that's, that's, that. this is living. This is how we live our Christian life. So you do that the whole week, and you're exhausted. So everyone rests on Monday. But, so Sunday night, 
I, I don't remember blanking out. I just sat, I, I sat on the couch one second, just one second, and then bang, I was out. I was out. And I woke up the next day, and Will was gone. And I didn't know where he was. And then later on, uh, I went to school, came back, pressed the answering machine, and what I found out was that what Will did was this. He came home late Sunday night, took a shower, and he went back to work. He went back to work because everyone in his office knew he was a Christian. Every one of them. And he, he, even though he knew he lost his job, he, felt he stayed up all night with the project manager, and they finished the deadline Monday morning. They did it. And then he came back, and he was, he was just out cold when I came back in the afternoon. But there was a message in the answer, so I played it. I played it. And on the answering machine, it says, Will, this is, you know, the person's name is Boss. And he said, I heard from the project manager that you came home Sunday night and you worked with the team all night and that without your help, they would never have finished. That was a pretty studly thing for you to do. I'll see you at work tomorrow. Click. And I was just amazed. I was just blown away. What a, what a beautiful brother in Christ. Talk about training and running hard for God. And when our small, when the people, back then we had cells and zones. You don't use cell group anymore because you think, they think of, you know, like terrorist organizations. But <laughs> this is like the 80s, you know, the 80s or so. But um, 80s and 90s. But, you know, we had this zone of brothers, you know. And when his testimony was heard, all of us just repented. You know, we, here's a brother that pushed the bar higher than we've ever seen before when it comes to integrity at work, loving your, work play, your co-workers, not compromising when God gives you conviction, laying it all on the line, even not being afraid of losing your job. Uh, that set the standard high for us. So the next challenge a brother or a sister experienced, we remembered Will's testimony. I share, my, this, is, this is probably the fifth or sixth time my son has heard this story because I want him to know the story. I want him to know. When, if you want an example of what integrity looks like, Uncle William is, is the person to turn to. Uh, and I think I'm the black sheep of my, my generation, because I'm, even though I am ordained as a pastor and student pastor of ministry, uh, I'm serving right now in theological education. Uh, but that brother, I think, also uh, was really changed by that commitment, and he is currently a pastor right now in Texas. Uh, doing campus ministry, reaching out to the same college kids who did when we were at Berkeley. But I share this story for one thing. How are we running? Are we running toward Jesus? And how are we running together? Are our testimonies pushing people to run harder? Or is the kind of Christian life we're living making people want to stop and give up? Our life matters. In the same way through one man, or one person, Adam, sin entered the world, and yet through one person, Jesus Christ, righteousness came. In the economy of grace and God's and, and Christian life, one person always, always makes a difference. How I live affects others. So how are we affecting others? Let us run to Jesus and let us run hard together. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father and gracious God, I thank you for Life Baptist Church. Thank you for the challenge for the new year. I myself am humbled that I don't pursue you hard enough. I don't, I don't love you enough to readjust my life 
so that I meet with you. I, 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 I dig into your word. I let prayer be a time where I commune with the most important person in my life, the one who I surrendered my life to. Lord, help us to run to Jesus this year. Now, what will it take for us to meet with Christ and for that meeting to really transform and change us? Help us to make hard decisions. Help us, Lord, to restructure our time. Help us, Lord, to make room. Help us to help one another make that room. And Lord, I do pray for Redeemer Life Church. Pray that you will make this the kind of congregation, congregation, the kind of community of faith, the kind of church family, that everyone will chase after God. And as we share each other's testimonies, both of our struggles and our victories, it will make us want to run harder for you. Help us not to leave one person behind. And thank you, Father, that rather than just a new year, in Christ, any day is a new beginning. Any day we can start over. We thank you for the grace of God that allows us to say that this day we will run hard after Christ as if our Christian life depends on it. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.